0: Hello and welcome to Mind Care, a podcast where we address the issues surrounding adverse childhood experiences. This podcast aims to provide hope, answers, and support to take away the stigma of childhood trauma.
1: Hi everyone, Rochelle here and Dr. Dana Phillips welcoming everyone back to another episode of Mind Care. Um, Really, today's topic is about COVID-19, stuck at home due to COVID, what to do when trauma is at home. And today's topic, we're addressing domestic violence. And hopefully for the next few weeks, we will be discussing COVID-19 and trauma. Now, this podcast aims to provide hope and answers and take away the stigmas of childhood traumas. Dr. Dana Phyllisaint is a professional counselor whose focus is on childhood traumas. Hi, Dr. Dana Phyllisaint.
0: Hello, and happy new year.
1: Yeah, Happy New Year. It's amazing. Isn't it wonderful to be in a new year?
0: Oh, it is. 2021. I hope it's lots of joy.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Now, I know this is a topic that I'm sure people are, our listeners are going to be really interested about because a lot of people have been talking about COVID-19 and domestic violence. All right. So when we get started, this is, um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to ask, okay, so let's get started here. What is domestic violence? Essentially, what constitutes domestic violence?
0: So domestic violence involves anyone that's in the home or violence that's uh, impacting the various members of a home. But when we're talking, what we're talking about today is mainly intimate partner violence or spousal abuse or uh, abuse that's taking place in the home between two individuals that. Uh, That's involving emotional, psychological harm, physical, sexual, verbal abuse, um, as well as neglect as well and and, um, abandonment. So this is a problem that's actually global. Uh, It it cuts through barriers of age, uh, sex, culture, religious background doesn't matter really, nationality. All of us are impacted in some way, some form, and families are that that are. Involved in this also is across the world.
1: Okay, so now today's podcast is about domestic violence and trauma at home. So let me ask you a question. How, um, how prevalent was domestic violence before COVID 19?
0: Well, it's actually one of the leading causes of, of trauma uh, in the hospital when individuals come in to the hospital doing trauma. Uh, searches or uh, abu- um, impacting them at, and physically. Domestic violence is usually the n- number one reason why uh, that the individual is in the hospital for that. But it's, it's a very underreported crime and it's growing. Uh, it's a social problem within America and around the world as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Every year it's said that between 1.5 million females or 830,000 males, are involved in domestic violence. And some report as high as 5.3 million women. So it depends on the reporting. And of course, not everyone reports it, so that's one of those things. But around the world, it's one out of every three women are faced with domestic violence uh, on a yearly basis. So it's impacting a whole lot of us, and some people might even know individuals who's going through those kinds of things. But mm-hmm. some literature uh, in- include that 85% of those involved in domestic violence, you know, is impacting women. Um, and then there was a study, this is interesting, a, a six year study between 2007 and 2012 that were looking at the database of various trauma centers and they collected information of 16,575 patients. And what they found was interesting, not only that of course it's more female than male, but also the, um, when it comes to cultural, blacks and Hispanics were more likely to experience domestic violence um, over other types of trauma, and then when it comes to white patients, they uh, experience less domestic violence, but higher of other types of trauma. So this is, that's an interesting fact for us to consider as well.
1: Okay, great. Now, um, we are talking about before COVID and after COVID. So now, what are the number of recorded, reported cases of domestic violence, you know, uh, since the stay-at-home orders uh, went into place a few months ago?
0: Okay, so some, something to consider because this is this is one of those facts that people don't really uh, are fami- not familiar with. But the surges of domestic violence usually go up when any calamities take place. So if you look at the databases and studies with uh, natural disasters and floods and earthquakes and even an oil spill, for whatever reason, domestic violence seems to go up. So that's one aspect, and another one too oh, is wow. is that when families get together. During times of, uh, of of Christmas and holidays, summer vacation, those times as well, it goes up. So anytime you leave families that are probably dysfunctional, even from before, um, and they're put in a place where they're stuck at home, then typically those go up. So now with COVID, the, the COVID nineteen pandemic that happened, um, a lot of times, you know, of course we know that public safety. Uh, social distancing, self-quarantine, and safer at home mandates are are there in America and around the world. But a lot of people are faced with this notion that is it safer for me to be at home or is it safer for me to be outside and expose myself to the virus? And so that's what's happening right now. So in the first month of the stay-at-home order, for example, in nine Mm -hmm. major metropolitan cities, it was reported between 20 and 30 percent increase domestic violence oh,
1: calls.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. and in some areas as it's, it's 62% um, so it's, oh, it's, wow. it's gone really up and there was a study that was done a report that was done re, uh, by the New York Times looking at different things around the world when it comes to COVID-19 in Spain the emergency number for domestic violence reported 18 percent more calls in France 30 percent more calls in Britain 20 percent more calls so you see these numbers going up again as a result of COVID-19
1: or stay at home and so forth. Yeah, and those are just the reported cases. Um, that's correct. Not even the unreported. Wow, that's 62%. I mean, that's just blown my mind there. That's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is a, an absolutely um, – that's a concern for everybody, definitely. So the next question would be is why is it that families um, turn against each other in violence? Like that.
0: yeah that's an important question but you know one that we really don't have all the answers to except that there mm-hmm. are many reasons why people act violently you know perhaps their history their upbringing substance abuse you know are involved but however none of these are acceptable reasons to for a person to hurt or hit another human being of course and something to keep in mind as well that something that is, there is something that's obviously wrong with those individuals and uh, you know, to keep, keep this in mind as well, that that thing that is wrong with them is not you. Um, there is mm-hmm. a well-known trauma expert from Harvard University a Medical School. Her name is Judith Lewis-Furman. Mm-hmm. She's been studying trauma, uh, domestic violence in particular, for many years. And what she found, which was interesting, she has been looking at the, the methods that domestic violence people use to control their partners. She says that, and I quote, it bears an uncanny uh, resemblance of individuals who kidnap um, during times of political uh, uprising and um, for hostage situation. They they mimic those methods of which one person takes control over another person um, to the point that they uh, pull out their individuality out of them, meaning I am Mm -hmm. now in control. So it's, it's very, very sad. but wow. The whole idea is, you know, the control and the power that they're uh, looking for and getting from another person through isolation, through abuse of various sorts, or even using their children um, and using intimidation and so forth to undermine the other individual. But one thing that I always keep in mind is what it says in Philippians, not actually Ephesians 6, where it says, you know, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities. In, high places. In, in, uh, in other words, you know, a lot of times people are influenced by uh, demonic thoughts. And, and you know, when, when that happens, they do wicked things. And so we need to keep that in mind as well, that it has nothing to do with um, with you per se. Uh, you know, you're not the cause of anyone's, um, you know, decision to be violent, uh, except that they've made that, that choice to, to do wicked things. And they're allowing um, evil thoughts to... They're allowing evil thoughts to make them do evil things.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Now, and I know this has this question has been asked by a lot of people, but we'd like your take on it. So, why is it that? What are some reasons that people stay in abusive relationships?
0: <laughs> you know, I get asked that question so many times. One of the things mm-hmm. that I say is, if you look at five categories, I mean, there's a whole list of reasons, and this is just not, you know, the whole list, of course, but I have identified them into five categories. One would be the isolation uh, idea, that they feel unsupported by family and friends, um, and so sometimes the lack of resources that they they feel that they don't have, like they don't have friends, they they believe that they have no family to help them, they have no uh, money for shelter or places to go, uh, so their lack of knowledge. About resources and safety measures um, and the fact that they've isolated themselves from their friends and family as well. contribute mm-hmm. to that sense there's no way to go to. That's one. Second would be financial resources. So the knowledge of difficulties of possibly being a single parent or, you know, there's going to be a reduce in their financial situation or uh, their lack of support from, you know, for their, their families or their children, of course. Um, and how they're going to be bringing money in? Those kinds of uh, the anxiety that comes about the financial aspect uh, keeps them, you know, mm-hmm. the, with that mindset that I need to stay there. Another thought that I've, I've heard many times is their false sense of hope. In other words, there's no way to go. Um, I'm I'm nobody without that individual. Um, their identity mm-hmm. kind of lost that person. Uh, so they've read they made a lot of rational, uh, rational reasoning for that abusive relationship, or because they're stressed, or because they uh, the alcohol, because of work. And so all of these reasonings, so their, their false sense of hope lies with that individual, um, you know, kind of keeps them in as well. Another area, I would say fear, you know, fear of if they take an action, that violent might get worse, and sometimes it does, but that the idea that, you know, that person might attack me and attack their children, you know, they would lose a sense of their of their children, or they would lose custody of their children. So all these fears that keep mounting up in their mind keep them in. Another area I would say is belief system. So even their religious or cultural belief, their practices might make them believe that um, it's not supported, you know, to to separate or not, not supported to get a divorce or so forth. So those belief systems keep them staying in there. Now, again, there might be other factors that Keep individuals in, and it's very individual um, why uh, a person decides to stay, but those are the five areas that I seem to be more prevalent uh, as to why people stay
1: wow those are those are really um, powerful points, and I'm sure most of us you know know people who are in um, domestic violence, or at least some of us definitely know people who are involved and these are definitely some things that you know, I've heard of when I've spoken to friends. So um, thank you for clarifying that, Dr. Dana. Um, Mm -hmm. So the next question is, and I'm sure for our listeners, if you are involved in domestic violence, this definitely applies to you. What can you do if you are in a domestic violence situation?
0: Uh, Okay, so if you are, let's let's first talk about if you know someone that's in a violent Mm -hmm. situation. Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: That seems to be, one that, you know, uh, a lot of people ask me more of, and then we'll talk about the other one as well. But if you know someone that's in a violent situation, you know, listen to that person. Listen to them. Listen to them as much as you can. If they're calling you, if they're talking to you, listen to them, because a lot of times they have no one to talk to. Uh, Mm -hmm. Secondly, I would say give them three key assurances. One is um, that they don't deserve it. Two is that it's not their fault, and Three that you believe in, you know they need to hear that constantly. Like
1: they okay, wait, understand. hold on, Dr. Dana. I'm sorry, we got to stop for just a minute. I need you to go back over that and and and, and emphasize those three points. Um, listen to them; they don't deserve it. Keep going, please.
0: Yes, yeah, they don't deserve it. It's not their fault,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you truly really believe what they're telling you. So those three things they need to okay. hear constantly. Mm-hmm. And then the, the third thing that they can do is tell the victim that. You think that and you know that they might be in danger. Let them know that this mm-hmm. is a dangerous situation, you know, that it's not, it may not be okay. That They're in a dangerous situation. They need to know that. Another area that you want to consider is to give them numbers of domestic violent resources. Because Again, they sometimes feel that they have nowhere to go. There are numbers that you can give them around in their, their area. Um, another thing is to call and ask what you can do to help them. Don't tell them what you can do, but ask them what they can do too. What, what they can do, what you can do for them, um, mm-hmm. and then that kind of goes along with the next one too: is don't tell them what to do. Never tell a victim what to do. Um, you know, because again, if they're in an abusive relationship; they're used to people telling them what to do constantly. And so you don't want to come across it as that at all. At all. And another thing to do is to ask them. Um, you know, if they have a plan, what their plans, what can they do if they decide to leave, you know, and, and, and what is the plan, you know, so that maybe you can help them carry out that plan somehow. And then the lastly I would say is if uh, abuse is actively happening, don't be afraid to call 911 on their behalf. You know, and so mm-hmm. call them immediately. So that's, that's one of those things I would say, you know, keep in mind that you can help. Um, in, in that situation. But, of course, make sure that you yourself is in a safe position. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. advise to constantly say, hey, come to my house, you know, because you, you don't want to put yourself in danger as well. And so you want to get the right individual authorities involved to uh, mitigate that situation.
1: Yeah, perfect. And I, I was going to stress again, now I have heard, now I don't know if this is true, maybe you can clarify, is it true that sometimes if you're too involved, that um, you might be considered a threat?
0: Well, the thing I would definitely say is always, always safety first. So if you okay. think that, you know, you're in a position where you can put yourself in danger, you want to make sure that you're in a safe uh, place or a safe uh, situation mm-hmm. as well. If you need to call people to get involved, you know, be that Good, voice you. Um, to mm-hmm. make sure that you're safe. So I don't don't know exactly, you know, what the situations are, you know, because every situation is different. Um, They may not Mm -hmm. even need to know that you're involved, um, except that the individual, the victim is the only one that needs to know that you're involved. I mean, I wouldn't call the house, you know, where the abuser would be picking up the phone or anything like that. Um, So you want to make sure that you're smart and wise about how you go about helping someone that's in a violent
1: situation okay great now let's go back to this question so what can you do if you are in a domestic violence situation
0: Mm -hmm. so i guess the same thing i would say the first thing is make sure that you are safe so safety is very Mm -hmm. important over finances over all those negative stereotypical behaviors or beliefs that people might have you know find ways to be safe there's hotlines that people can call there's a national domestic violence hotline Uh, which is a very known hotline around the U.S., for example, is 1-800-799-SAFE, you know, 1-800-799-7233. So that's one thing for sure I would say. Make sure that you are in a safe position. Second, I would say pray and plan, not just pray alone and thinking, you know, okay, everything is going to be fine, but pray and plan. So develop a well-thought-out plan. Um, you know, outline how it is that you, you're you going to try to leave the situation. And please know that it's important to keep in mind that the most dangerous out of, you know, all the risks that all saw um, and potential lethal time for a victim is when they immediately trying to leave the, the relationship. So make sure it's a thought-out plan, you know, get people to help you plan it out as well. Um, another thing I would say is get help, you know, for your children, for yourself. Uh, you know, the trauma of living such a life, you know, sometimes, gets in your mind and you, you don't feel like you're capable of doing anything. So get help, get help, get help. <laughs> Another thing I would mm-hmm. say is um, as as you're trying to, you know, get well-established after leaving a situation of domestic violence, get connected to your extended family. Don't be silent. It's okay to talk about the situation that you left. Um, and, and at that point, you're, you know, you're uh, – you were a victim, but now you're an overcomer. You know, share your your story so that you can help prevent domestic violence from happening again, especially since you've experienced it yourself. Um, and then I would say make it a practice, a life practice to stay connected with at least one or two other people. You know, call them. Social media does not count. <laughs> you know, make the practice of reaching out to others, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. Another thing I would say is, Establish yourself in a, uh, in a prayer partner situation, weekly prayer partner, outside your home. You know, get a good friend, pray with them, pray for them. They'll pray for you, vice versa. That's important. Um, and then another thing is know that uh, you were never the cause of someone's anger. Um, a lot of times people feel like, well, it's my fault, but it, it has nothing to do with you. Their anger is their choice. And I'm going to say that again. Their anger is their choice. So it has nothing to do with you. And lastly, um, it wasn't your fault, you know? And so you didn't deserve that treatment. Again, as I mentioned, there was something wrong with that individual, and so they need to get help, and you are not the one to 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 help them necessarily. A lot of times we feel that, you know, oh, we can help someone, we, you know, we're so helpful, we, we're, we can help them, we can help them out the situation. No, they need to go get help themselves. If you decide, you know, should you decide to go back with that in their relationship, please do so wisely, you know. Make sure they've gotten the help. Check with their therapist to see if it's okay to return if you need to do that, as if you need to do that. But make sure you fast away from that person. Give them time away from you and, and you trying to fix it because you cannot fix anybody. Um, and I'm going to mm-hmm. say that again, you've not fix anybody. They need to get the help themselves and um, get people involved. Because the minute that you single yourself out, being alone um, in a, an abusive relationship, they have, um, they're trying to gain that control and power over you. So you don't want to do that. You want to get people involved in your life outside of your home as well. So that's what I would say. Um, to those individuals as much as possible. And so we're going to be praying for you guys. Um, if anything that we can do to help, again, you know, the resources are out there. Reach out. Call. Get people involved. Be safe.
1: That's right. Um, and I appreciate Dr. Dana, thank you for those points. And I know this podcast is about providing hope, providing hope and answers. And so, Dr. Dana, I know there's a lot of information. I have one more question for you. There's a lot of information that you presented today. Um, If there was one thing that you could tell our listeners to, you know, to give them some hope, like maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel, what would that one thing be?
0: You know, some of the research that I saw was the fact that as high as, you know, some 50, some 9% of people who have gone through these experiences, actually, you know, only about 20 or so percent stay in it. Um, and either they decide and made that choice to stay in it, but they don't have to be that individual to stay in that abusive relationship. So the hope that I would give them is that, you know, God wants us to be wise. Um, Pray and plan, and God will help you through the planning as well. So, you know, you're not alone. Um, So many people have gone through it or or are even currently going through it. Um, And be wise about every decision that you make every decision that you make, um, and safety is always, again, first.
1: Dr. Dana, as always, this was amazing information, um, insightful, helpful, especially in light of COVID-19. And so for our listeners, don't forget to visit um, the website, mindcare.us, for resources and any additional information. Also, don't forget to uh, like and subscribe. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.